guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks, guys. Now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa episode 42 and just wanted to remind everybody if we have any new listeners or a podcast that celebrates badass women in history while drinking lots of fantastic wines. And if you're new to the podcast, you can find us on Instagram at Mimosa Sisterhood. You can also find us on Twitter at Mimosa Hood, and we also have a website that I definitely need to be updating, um, but it's www.mimosasisterhood.com. So, um, super excited to welcome our newest guest, who is actually one of our regular fans out in the world. So yes. that's pretty fucking cool. So I just want to give a big round of applause and welcome Ricky Bell. Hey guys, I'm so excited. <laughs> I am so excited um, because you've been, I think, listening to the podcast for quite some time now. Yes. And I also just think it's super awesome that now that we're accepting guest hosts and stuff like that, we can actually give some of our listeners the opportunity to be on the show and participate by telling a story about one of their favorite women. So I'm very excited that you wanted to do this. I'm very honored that you've been a loyal fan for so long <laughs> and i'm stoked that we get to drink wine together on video and like be real friends in real life for once i know i literally feel like we're best friends anyway but <laughs> <laughs> this just solidifies it right okay so that brings me to wondering like how exactly did you find our podcast because it's like, we're pretty small, and it's almost impossible to get any kind of visibility on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Like, we will never end up in the new and noteworthy <laughs> area. Like, I just don't have that kind of pull in life for some reason. So whenever people that I don't know find out about us, I'm like, holy shit, somebody found it, and now it's spreading, and like, how is that even possible? So yeah, how did you find the podcast, and when when did that even happen? Okay, so maybe like two years ago maybe like a year and a half ago okay a year and a half ago my friend Shelby was like oh my god you need to listen to this podcast and I was like all right dude I don't listen to podcasts like that's weird but cool (laughs) so she sends it to me and I listened to the first episode and I was like what the fuck this is awesome like these are my kind of people and like so now every week we like text each other like oh my gosh did you listen and now I feel like Shelby follows you guys D dots on Instagram and so like we always talk about you guys like oh my gosh I wonder what Melissa's doing like I wonder <laughs> if she would like this wine that like you're hysterical yes you were constantly a part of our conversation that is the coolest thing ever also to answer your question I probably would like the wine there's very few I don't like see um <laughs> 
<laughs> but that's freaking awesome. I love that. It's like, it honestly, things like that make me feel... It's just a weird feeling to be like, one day I decided to do this podcast and I had, you know, no experience in it and I didn't know if people would listen to it or give a shit about it. And then now fast forward, you know, all this time later and there are people in various states, if not countries, that tune in. And it's weird. It's just like one day my life was like under complete destruction and I was so desperate to have some type of like passion in my life. And now boom, here we are. And you and I are video chatting and recording an episode together. And it is the craziest thing on earth. (laughs) It's so fun. And I share this shit all the time. They're like, oh, anybody asked me like, do you have any good podcasts to listen to? I'm like, uh, the sister of the bottom of Samosa. Like, that's the only option. Listen to it. Love it. Like, I feel like we are the same person. So obviously, I keep coming back. (laughs) Well, thank you so, 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 so much. You have no idea, honestly, how much it means. It's like, it means that what I'm doing isn't just going out into outer space, into air, and like, you know, vanishing into particles. So it's pretty awesome. And I so much appreciate you. I so much appreciate Shelby. And once we're allowed back on planes, I think I need to do like an Ohio tour. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I would probably die. I feel like you're like a celebrity and I'm like, oh, that's my friend now. We're friends. I am so far from celebrity (laughs) life. Like, I couldn't be further away from it. Um, I'm actually just an extremely strange, normal person with a weird life. But really my kind of people. So <laughs> perfect. Oh, I love it. Um, and then I know that you are either starting a new business or you have a business. Like, tell me more about that. Yeah. So right now, I probably have like five friends that are pregnant. And instead of being, like, bitter about it, (laughs) I've decided to embrace it. Um, And I started making customized onesies for all of them. And they turned out so cute that people are like, oh, I want to share this and, like, have someone order it from you. And I'm like, uh... I like I guess so like I got a cricket for my birthday and I didn't open it until like March because I was so scared like scared shitless to open it and so I finally opened it and I started making a couple of onesies and then they turned out really fucking good and I was like oh shit I'm gonna start selling these so I made a website peony jean and I've been giving them to my friends for free and like now I have like eight orders that I have to fill for Monday so now I'm like, holy fuck. <laughs> cool is that? So yeah. are you... Okay, so first of all, I do know what a cricket is, because one yeah. of my friends has one. It is the craziest thing on earth. Like, I can't even understand what that thing does, but don't you run things through it and it makes patterns or something? Yes, so you can run just about any kind of, like, material through it, like leather, vinyl, like cotton, like anything. And it can, like, draw things for you. It'll cut out designs that you've created. And then, like, you just put that shit on a t-shirt or a glass and call it a day. Wow. So are you basically making these as orders come in or have you like made a few of them and now you have inventory going? So I have a bunch of designs. I have about 30 on my website right now, just onesies. Um, and so as people order them, I kind of just make them just so yeah. I have like I have like a stockpile of like 100 onesies in my living room right now. And it looks oh like a shithole. <laughs> and um, I've decided that I'm moving on to the t-shirt business with adult clothes. So like that's next. And I'm excited. Oh my God. 
That's so exciting. So I have no clue when I will ever birth children if right. I do. Right. <laughs> there are there are no babies in my future at this point. Um but I you had there were two that I saw that I was like, oh my god, my uterus is crying, like the womb is touched. Right. There was like a like a tie-dye onesie that you have, and I'm obsessed with all things tie-dye. And then there was like a little campers onesie yes i knew i saw it and i was like i bet melissa would like this because she likes to go like camping and do adventurous things like you wouldn't catch me in the woods but (laughs) i have a lot of friends who would go to the woods and you're one of them so i was like "Ooh, i bet she would like this (laughs) you know what else would be really cute if you ever wanted to continue expanding Mm -hmm. is like dog shirts (gasps) oh thinking to myself I'm like well if I had like an animal that I could squeeze into one of those onesies that would be fantastic no that's such a good (laughs) idea and now that like I've done I'm starting to do like adult stuff I maybe I'll branch into that like adult clothes dog clothes oh my onesies mugs all of it it's just never ends (laughs) I know how fun I probably need to like move into a house so I can have more space (laughs) you need like have your whole inventory warehouse (laughs) literally onesies Yes, I don't see how people, like, on TikTok do this all the time, because I'm overwhelmed. I I can't even get started on overwhelmed with just even podcasting. I'm like, the things people do, it's like, fuck. I mean, I guess now, especially with coronavirus, people have a lot more time to dedicate yeah. to, like, some of these types of things. So I feel like we are seeing a lot of people, you know, starting to, like, make those steps. Like, they finally have this opportunity to, like, take a risk and make a step to, like, do these things that they're passionate about. But, like, oh, my God. I I was even telling my friend the other day, I'm, like, I'm very, very fortunate and happy and lucky to have kept my job through this pandemic. But I'm not going to lie. If I got laid off, I would have got a lot of podcast work done. (laughs) Like, like the things I could do with this podcast would be out of, you know, outer space in comparison Mm -hmm. to, like, the very limited time that I have on top of, like, working a full-time job. But, I mean, maybe that is, like, one of the benefits of, I mean, obviously the pandemic is horrendous, but if you can find a silver lining, you know, there people have had the opportunity to just, like, really dive deep into their souls of what they want to do and what they care about and, like, dig into those creative realms and just start doing it. Exactly. And, like, I, like I said, I didn't open my box for my cricket until like March and I had it since October. And I was like, <laughs> I kept pushing it by like, okay, well, maybe I'll try around Christmas and like do something. And then I was like, oh, maybe spring break. And then Corona happened and I was like, fuck it. Like, what else am I going to do? It's on. And I never looked back. <laughs> oh, well, tell us how we can find your website and your Instagram. Okay, so on Instagram, it's at Peony Jean Boutique. And then the website is just Peony Jean, J E A N Boutique.com. Super simple. Awesome! Well, considering that we have a lot of female listeners, I'd imagine some of them have to be pregnant. So. Yes. <laughs> Yes. If you are looking for a onesie made by one of the Mimosa Sisterhood fans and guests, um, this is your girl. But also speaking of kids, you're a teacher in Ohio, right? I am. High school. English. High school. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, they are not little. <laughs> I, for sometimes, th- I, for whatever reason, thought you were a teacher of, like, younger kids. Oh, no. 
Like, I had freshmen this year. Next year, I'll have 11th and 12th. They're bigger than me, so... Yeah. I, I mean, I would imagine... I just remember that I was a real big asshole in high school. Same. And I didn't like my teachers, and I, you know... I just, and for no reason, it's just, like, one of those, like, angsty things. Oh, yeah, authority. You don't want to be told what to do, or you're, like, annoyed that they're asking you a question. Man, that is wild. Yeah. And so, did you have to go through any of the, like, virtual teaching during the pandemic? Yes, and it was awful. Like, it was so, (laughs) it was so bad. So, imagine teaching, like, ninth graders who don't already, like, like school, Romeo and Juliet. Like, let's just talk about that real quick. (laughs) Digitally, without being in the room with them, it was horrific. But thank God for Leonardo DiCaprio and the 1996 version. That is super dramatic. That's how they got through. Oh, my God. So I can't even imagine how challenging that is when kids are already not engaged, sitting down, staring at the whiteboard and to have them on computers in their houses, like, running amok, and, like, you're supposed to do all this stuff, it's kind of, like, impossible. And it's, yeah. And, and like... It's one just, of those things where, like, we're, our society was never prepared to one day be like, no one can go to school anymore. <laughs> like, <laughs> but we still have to educate people. Like, yeah. Like, what next? We were not ready. And then, like, to think that, like, some kids have to, like, take care of siblings or, like, yeah. parents are also laid off or, like, just all of these other, like, circumstances that I wouldn't have thought that my kids had to go through. But, like, I had one kid in particular who was like, well, my cousin comes over and I have to help my little sister and, like, so she can't, I can't use my my computer she has to use it so i'm super behind and like things like that like if they're good kids and like they yeah. do what they're supposed to do usually i kind of helped them out a little bit but some kids were like fuck it i'm not doing shit and like <laughs> i was like fuck it like what's new you know <laughs> like same shit oh my god that is actually really sad though that, like, <laughs> i know for the g- group of kids that have this complete lifestyle change and they have to take on all these additional responsibilities on top of studying yeah. freaking shakespeare like shakespeare <laughs> i swear is not even written in like english that is like no, a completely so different language that yes. like you don't know what they're saying <laughs> no you have no idea and so like i would give them a scene and then i would like record myself talking like okay this is what happened because i knew that they weren't going to be like oh well romeo is saying like no he's just a dramatic fucking 14 year old that married a dramatic 13 year old like that's it (sighs) oh wow and you know what though like i was just saying the other day i'm like coronavirus is old news like (laughs) there's so much i haven't even heard a damn thing about the coronavirus in like a couple of weeks now and it's pretty been made pretty clear that americans are very are at the point where they're willing to sacrifice their lives by getting the coronavirus and dying in order to fight for human rights yes absolutely that should be like the largest thing that our city officials our president our governors that they should be seeing that and being like well damn yeah um until next week when (laughs) they like make an announcement that 3.5 million americans now have corona and i'm like i know and that it's kind of scary it's like it's like of course you know with what's happening in the world which by the way for whoever's listening this episode will probably release 
two weeks from today. So there could be so many other things that are unfolding that we don't even know about by the time we record and release this. But, I mean, you know, the whole world, not even just the United States, several other countries in Europe and Australia, everybody is right now out protesting for the murder of George Floyd and just Black Lives you know activism in general and it's it's to the point where thousands and thousands of people are side by side you know fighting for these rights and they're wearing masks but like uh right right (laughs) nobody gives a fuck i don't know no people just don't care they're like forget it coronavirus whatever we'll figure it out but like we have more important things at hand right now yes and i'm loving it i'm living for it have you have you experienced any like crazy things happening in your neighborhoods or your downtown area or anything like that or has it been mellow over there um our downtown has had its moments like pretty there was a protest today um downtown and i heard it went really well but uh early on it was kind of scary like people looting and fighting and like breaking things and stuff like that but i think it's gotten a lot better and a lot of people are kind of seeing like this is why we're doing what we're doing instead of like let's fuck shit up you know so um hopefully it continues to get better there's a lot of different protests in like the smaller like suburban neighborhoods which i think Mm -hmm. is really good but um overall i think it's been pretty like positive down here over here yes i mean it you know things got really bad for us for i'd say like four days it was scary like we literally couldn't go to the grocery store to get groceries because we had such an early curfew one or there was already a bunch of police at these grocery stores on standby to make sure that no looting would happen wow in addition to like there being that that same coronavirus mass hysteria where people were rushing the grocery stores and they thought that they were going to never have access to food again and die. That was happening with the protesting. Like, people here were like, oh my god, the cities are being burned down. We literally don't know what's going to happen and we can't even leave our homes. So, like, go to the grocery store and stock. It's just this never-ending stock up like we're in an apocalypse. Yeah, Get bread and eggs. Like, why is it always bread, eggs, and milk? Like, (laughs) what are you gonna make french toast like i'm just so confused (laughs) it's it's nuts i mean it we're literally living in the weirdest year i mean i don't know if our in our lifetime we'll see anything stranger than this but like and it's literally six months in like what there's still so much more time oh it's very scary but i mean I, i was i was reading something like you know one of the 10 billion memes online that are happening right now where it was basically saying that like maybe all these horrible things that we're going through yes they're absolutely horrible but like maybe they need to happen in order for it to change like you know how they basically say like people have to hit rock bottom in order to realize like okay i'm no longer in denial i've hit rock bottom i have to implement a change yeah like what we've seen just from coronavirus in terms of how horrible our medical health system is in the united states and like 
the the socially distancing and the quarantining and like not knowing what's going on and like is the data accurate are we getting the right information what are they not telling us just all kinds of crazy stories and then leading into this and it's like damn we're about to have another civil war like seriously it's out of control and i know it's like as painful and like heartbreaking as it is to experience and watch you you have to hope again another silver lining that there there has to be a reason why this is happening and hopefully it means that there's light on the other side yeah and as soon as i say like this shit can't get any worse the news comes on and i'm like oh i need to stop saying that like because shit keeps getting worse well it's like the other so basically usually what happens around this time is the other element that our city leaders like to ignore global warming where all of the south gets destroyed by hurricanes and then california burns down with wildfires and (laughs) it's just like they're like what global warming (laughs) exactly exactly it's like the earth is dying and doing things it never used to do historically generations ago so it's just there are a lot of fucked up things that are happening and it so it all many. boils down to so many elements of you know it gaps in our society that are heavily flawed and they have to be fixed yeah like, fast yeah like literally just be a good human like <laughs> that's it at least we can try and do our part of at least spreading positive messages through yes. this platform which i was gonna say i know you know we haven't discussed who we are covering with each other, but we in we had to give a little bit of hints of this and that, and it turns out that you and I both are covering people who have had lives that somewhat relate to like the current events that are existing in today's world. So I'm hoping that this episode in general is at least a s- sliver of us making some type of impact and spreading, you know, other messages that are helping implement change. So Me too. I don't know who listens to this podcast, but I hope that we are doing a little bit of our part in putting good information out there to tell people they need to get their fucking act together. Yes, or at <laughs> least like make you chuckle a little bit instead of yeah. cry all the time. <laughs> right? Oh, all right, well, on that note, what are we drinking today? Well... Since I am a guest host on the Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa, I decided to drink a mimosa. I Woo-hoo! Yes, I threw um, my best friend a bridal shower yesterday, and it was brunch and bubbly themed, so Ooh. I had lots of bottles of champagne left over and orange juice, and I put a little bit of strawberry puree and some mangoes in there, Ooh. and before i made this i drank two white claws so nice i'm ready to party (laughs) what are you drinking i am drinking so i don't know if you've heard of that wine brand called 19 crimes yeah yeah so i was like looking at it i'm like "Ah, i don't really know it'd be kind of weird if i got like a 19 crimes bottle while literally there's tons of crimes happening in the world like that's kind of like kind of fucked up but then (laughs) they had like a special segment of this new wine that i never seen before and it's called the 19 crimes the uprising Ooh. so it's not just about criminals it's about people in society that have are uprising against the government basically oh my gosh <laughs> and I- this goes really well with not only what's happening in right now with you know all the protesting that are going on to 
you know, fight for all of black lives. Yeah. It's also perfect for the woman that I'm covering later. So I don't know if anybody knows, but technically, and I don't have the whole history on it, but apparently, like, I guess back in the day, Europe was taking criminals and shipping them off to Australia with the intent to just turn Australia into, like, an island full of convicts. (laughs) And that's literally what the 19 Crimes wine brand is about. So, like, every bottle that you get, it has, like, some dude on it, and you can, like... I think there's, like, a QR code, and you can find out the story of the dude that's on the wine bottle. So... I don't, so this one that I have isn't, is different because it's not about a specific dude, but this is what the, this is what the label says. It says, and this is a true story. It says, the uprising, a new wine aged for 30 days in rum barrels, pays homage to Australia's rum rebellion of 1808. So, due to the government's hindering of the rum trade, the rebellion was the only time a group of soldiers and citizens banded together to overthrow the government. <laughs> like, this literally happened. Hell yes! <laughs> they were pissed that the rum, the, the rum rebellion, they weren't allowed to sell their rum anymore, and they overthrew the government. Hey. And it's really good. It's, it's just called red wine aged 30 days in rum barrels. And it's just very smooth and easy to drink. And I don't mm. really like red wine. So Me neither. I am a freaking feeling this bottle. Yes. I'm going to have it's to try bomb. that. It's really I always good. pass it and I'm like, look at those old white men. Like, what are they doing on that bottle? Well, they're criminals. <laughs> <laughs> they were criminals that were banished to Australia to go live convict lives alone on an island well now i'm interested isn't that nuts that is like, that's nuts. such a strange part of history that they attempted to do that yes that they just glossed over like and now happen. aussies are like like the nicest like the most lovable people in the world yeah. they originated from convicts so yes they have the irwins <laughs> and i love the irwins right? so yeah this is pretty cool it's bomb i'm loving it definitely highly recommend Ooh, i'm um, excited so yeah check it out 19 wines or sorry 19 crimes <laughs> 19 crimes the uprising chapter <gasps> Ooh. so all right i think i'm gonna get started okay i'm ready i'm so excited so pulling up my notes so i am covering somebody today who is very timely with a couple things that are happening right now in the world one being the black lives matter movement and the other being the fact that it's pride month so Yes. I picked somebody today that falls, you know, somebody today who has it going through or went through both of those experiences where they've struggled in their lifetime um, with discrimination based off of their color of their skin and their sexuality. However, it did not stop them at any point in their lifetime to fight for their fucking rights. Hell yeah. So I'm very excited today to introduce you to, unless you already know who she is... Marsha P. Johnson. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. <laughs> Do you know of her? Yes. Okay, cool. I watched her documentary. Did you really? Yeah. Oh my god. Okay, cool. Oh my gosh, I'm so, so excited. So then you obviously know her story. I have like the memory of a goldfish, so um, it's good that you're talking about her because I only remember bits and pieces, so I'm ready. Okay. 
So, and I actually watched two different documentaries and kind of merged them together. And then I read about her online and stuff like that. So, hopefully it kind of tells a big picture of Marsha. So, she was born in New Jersey in 1945. And she was given the birth name Malcolm Michael Jr. So she first began to wear dresses at the age of five, but she stopped temporarily due to harassment by the boys who lived nearby, one of which ended up sexually assaulting her when she was just a child. Oh my gosh. Really horrible. Um, In addition to that, Marsha's mother had once openly stated out loud in front of Marsha that being homosexual is like being lower than a dog. So, yeah, so clearly her childhood was surrounded by people who did not support her true authentic self whatsoever. So needless to say, after she graduated high school, she left home for New York City with only $15 and a bag of clothes. She ended up in Greenwich Village in 1966, where for the first time in her life, she saw that it was possible to live as an openly gay person. Marsha identified as gay, as a drag queen, as a queen, and as a transvestite, which was a term that was used back then. That term today is not, is not really, it's considered kind of fucked up, so people have, like, eliminated that from the vocabulary. Um, But she never technically self-identified with the term transgender, which was really largely due to the fact that that term just wasn't being used at that time period. People were referring to transgender people as being transvestites. So... Um, like I had said earlier, I don't, I couldn't find any information that she actually felt like she was a woman, you know, in her true soul, but she largely identified with dressing as a woman, with associating with the other transgender community, like she fit in there and those were her people. So she initially started using the drag queen name Black Marsha, but Mm. then later decided to switch it over to Marsha P. Johnson, stating that the P stood for pay it no mind. Yes. (laughs) Okay. And she used that phrase sarcastically. So when people would basically call her out about her gender being like, so what are you, like a guy or a girl? She would say, my name is Marsha P. Johnson. Pay it no mind. Not your damn bitch. (laughs) so that ended up being like a token quote of hers that people associated to marcia they loved it so she marcia wore shiny dresses flowing robes red plastic heels bright wigs huge hats and she was known for her enormous flower crowns that she would be gifted from the employees that worked at flower shops so like whatever flowers they couldn't sell they just like gave to marcia and she made these gigantic flower crowns they were absolutely beautiful and people would be like marcia you only have like 10 bucks did you just literally spend all your money on these flowers like what the hell's wrong with you and she's like she would say some sassy thing like girl these flowers are gonna make me famous one day and they really did she was a huge 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 well-known icon in new york um and not only just due to her like super authentic outfits and like appearance and her crazy wild you know almost like 
stage stageish like outfits that she'd like almost like actress style outfits that she'd be wearing you know she was always kind of putting on like a show and she wasn't just loved and adored for that portion of who she was but even more so towards her personality like everybody that knew her or met her or crossed paths with her all say that she was the nicest sweetest and most polite new york new yorker that ever existed like when new yorkers are typically rude and like get out of my way and i don't have time to deal with you it that wasn't the case with marcia she would like say hello to everybody on the street smile at people wave at people tell them that i hope you're having a glorious day like she was just constantly spreading positivity and light to everybody in her path and she was just a naturally happy-go-lucky person so that's that's, the type of shit i vibe with like right well and that's even more telling is that like and this will make more sense as i continue in the story but like drag queens were not a thing in this time period so she was a very tall like african-american like he she looked like a man that was wearing women's clothing and people typically would be you know like oh my god what's going on like who is this what's happening and there were yes a lot of people that still were mean to her and called her names and treated her like shit but even those people she'd smile at and not like she just brushed it off she never argued with any of them she never talked back even times when she would get like kicked out of bars or grocery stores because of the way she looked she would just be like, all right, well, if you don't want my business, I'm happy to go somewhere else. Like, I'm not looking for trouble. Damn, so she just constantly, her. yeah, she constantly had a positive, um, just overall personality and demeanor about life. People literally considered her a saint of the gay community to the point that they even nicknamed her Saint Marcia. So, but like, regardless of the fact that she was this huge icon and like people loved her, she was homeless and unemployed and she was living on the streets and the only way that she was really making money was doing sex work so she was you know she was living a rough lifestyle like she was having to live in situations that were very dangerous unhealthy that put her at risk but that wasn't by choice that was the way that society had designed lifestyles to be for people that they didn't deem should be included in the rest of the world like she couldn't get a job she couldn't get an apartment like that was what the structure was in new york city at the time period it wasn't allowed they weren't letting them so marcia along with many other people that fell in the same group were homeless and unemployed because that was all they were allowed to be yeah and like really what else do you up. do yeah so yeah, people, sh- as far as like where she lived, people reported her like sleeping in movie theaters. She'd go in and like, um, what is it when like the elderly people get the lower price? Matinee? Of the movie? Yeah, matinee. She'd sneak <laughs> in at mat or she'd pay for a matinee ticket because it's the cheaper one. Yeah. And she'd stay there all day and like hide. And then at night she'd sleep in the movie theater and then <sighs> come out in the morning. Or the reason why she had so many of those flower crowns is because she used to sleep underneath the flower tables. But the people loved her. They, like, thought she was so nice that they were like, yeah, you can sleep here. It's all good. And we're going to give you all these flowers because you look awesome. So 
Regardless of the fact that she was homeless, unemployed, and literally having to do sex work to make money, she was still that same smiling, bubbly, happy person that wished everybody a a favorite day and just spread positivity. So incredible, incredible person. Yeah, I could not even imagine. I'd probably be so bitter and like angry all the time. Yeah, and not her. She just made the best out of it. Um, there is some footage of her doing, like, full-blown glamorous drag on stage, but most of her work was with, um, more, like, grassroots-type comedy and political, um, performances, and she also sang and performed as a member of a drag performance called The Hot Peaches, and... (laughs) Oh, I love that. And her most famous moment was the time that she was photographed by the very famous Andy Warhol as part of the Ladies and Gentlemen series he did of Polaroids. Yes. So these were like among his most famous works of art were his Polaroids. Yeah. And that basically anybody that had a Polaroid of themselves taken by Andy Warhol was considered the fucking cream of the crop. Like. But then think of it. Marsha is being photographed as, you know, for Andy, and she's homeless and unemployed. And so it's the the irony in, like, how she was so loved and treated like such a celebrity and yet lived this lifestyle that did not reflect any of these things that people thought and felt about her. Like, that's wild. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So overall, she was a massive icon to the gay and trans community before the LGBT movement was even a thing. So, as I mentioned, Marsha was a prominent figure in what kickstarted the Stonewall riots. But before I get into the riots in general, I just want to give a little backstory on like what led up to this moment. Okay. So, the Stonewall Inn was a bar in New York that was owned by the Mafia, And it was located on Christopher Street, which was, like, the hub of the gay scene in New York in the 60s. So, during this time, society as a whole was still discriminative of homosexual people, but much more discriminative towards a specific small group which challenged gender norms. And this included butch lesbians effeminate gay men, drag queens, and transgender people. Those are literally some of my favorite people. (laughs) What the fuck? I know. So they hated them. They hated that they were challenging gender norms and just what they considered to be nonconformists, and they did not like it. And, like, they, like, they were, like, they basically wanted all people that were encompassed in this homosexual group to just be basic mainstream low-key not in your face living their lifestyles under the radar where this specific group of people couldn't be under the radar yeah it's impossible it, it just didn't even it didn't even align with themselves yeah so it's like it's not even like they were trying to like Mm -hmm. rub it in people's faces or be dicks they were just being themselves yeah and it it was not okay so sadly this group of people was pretty much exiled from society so they were like i already mentioned often homeless and unemployed and they had to resort to sex work in order to make an an income and keep in mind 
like like I kind of just mentioned, this group of people was out living their authentic lives, knowing that it would result in a life of hardship and discrimination. And that was a sacrifice that they were willing to make. So in my like in my thought process, the fact that they were even living their true authentic lives, knowing that they would be homeless, knowing that they would be unemployed, knowing that people would be hating them was like already a form of act like activist work in itself. Sure, like absolutely. they were already just protesting every day by just being them and knowing yeah. that society wasn't okay with it. And putting themselves in danger and accepting a life of hardship just to be living their authentic selves. Right. So they were already protesting without even protesting. Good for Um, them. I know. So the bar scene was really like one of the few places that these people could go to congregate openly without being harassed or arrested. And the Stonewall Inn was a full-blown like labeled gay bar and that's typically where they frequently hung out so like reminder the mafia owns the stonewall inn and they they intentionally made it a gay bar which the mafia at no point in time has ever been known to be some big liberal progressive right organization that's here for human rights so already you're kind of like hold on that's weird like what is that that doesn't even make sense so weird so yeah they were up to some shit so basically the stonewall in bar did not have a liquor license and the mafia would pay off the police weekly to, like, turn a blind eye to that entirely. Oh. And in addition to that, they were blackmailing the wealthy gay customers that would frequent the Stonewall Inn, ones that worked on Wall Street, were in the financial district, and were there, like, low-key undercover, you know? Yeah. And they were making a fuck ton of money off these wealthy gay people and the majority of the income from Stonewall Inn was coming from extortion, not at all the bar liquor sales. What the fuck? Yeah. Oh so my they gosh. literally opened this this bar with the agenda to blackmail the people that attended to take their money or be outed, basically. That's so shitty. It's super shitty. And then on top of that, they were paying the police a portion of the blackmail money to just stay the fuck away and not mind their business like just mind their own business so the police and the mafia were working together to run this operation and basically rob and blackmail people (laughs) god like how bad can you be jesus well and, and also on top of all of that this bar is like the only place that this group of people can go and hang out and have fun right. where they aren't harassed. Right. Yet they are risking all these other things that's happening. Oh my God. So it's just, it's fucked. Like yeah. it's fucked. <laughs> and I'm sure like as soon as they left, the police were like, oh, where were you? Like, what are you doing? You know, and like easy target. Yeah. Oh my God. So it sadly gets worse. So, oh, no. <laughs> no. So rumor has it that the mafia had been either not paying the police blackmail money or were, like, shorting them or just late on payments. So the police were pissed off about it and were like, fuck it, we're gonna raid the Stonewall Inn. Like, to screw you, the mafia. So on the night of June 28th, 1969, at 1.20 in the morning, police showed up at the Stonewall Inn 
and they rated it. And typically, the way that bar ratings happened during this time period was that they would line up every single customer in the in the bar. Everyone would have to show their IDs. The people who did not look like the gender that was listed on their ID would be pulled to the side to undergo a gender verification check. Oh my god. Where they would be disrobed and their genitals would be evaluated to confirm what their biological sex was. And if it did not match the way that they were dressed, they would be arrested. That is disgusting. Yeah. Oh my god. This is what they went through. Like, this happened regularly all the time. What? Um, And this is typically what would have happened at Stonewall Inn that evening, except it did not go as planned because the patrons were like, fuck that. And they were refusing to show their IDs. They were refusing to go to the bathroom for their gender verification check. And then the people that were allowed to leave, like the all the people in the bar that who appeared as their gender stated on their ID, they were free to go home. They wouldn't go home. They started congregating outside yes. of the Stonewall Inn, and it ended up that group of people just grew and grew and grew. Because keep in mind, this bar was located in a you know an area of like the gay scene anyway. So just passerbyers, people that were around, were starting to like be like, "What's happening?" Yeah. And then they were like, "They're in there raiding the Stonewall," and so it just built and built and built. And um, next thing you know, the police were outnumbered by up to 600 people. Oh and my gosh, that's badass. <laughs> yeah. And so shit started to get real. They were f- The patrons that were locked inside were fighting off the police. The crowd outside was going nuts and throwing bricks and, like, you know, throwing things at the cop cars. And, like, full-blown violence erupted. And... Most of the people who were participating in this riot already felt like they had absolutely nothing to lose as they were already homeless and unemployed and basically had no rights to begin with. Right. Like, if they get arrested, then they get somewhere to sleep. Like, Well, even if they die. Like, yeah. it was to that point. Like, yeah. people died on the Stonewall riots. God. And so it just got to a point where, like... For whatever reason, this night they'd had enough. It was it was we're done with it, and it, it turned into like a full blown war. Um, so people, like I said, were injured. They died. There were Molotov cocktails going off. Shit was on fire. Even the mafia like was doing crazy shit. They like got they were all pissed that their fucking thing was getting raided. So they were out there lighting things on fire and punching people and shit. Like it just was out of control. <laughs> Jesus. And how old is Marsha when this happens? Do we know? Um, I don't know, but I can I think she's probably like in her late twenties. Oh my god. Early thirties. I'd be like, oh, I wanna go home. But like yeah. she's like, fuck this. Like Yeah. Man. So she was in her early thirties when that was happening. And these riots, so it started on that one night, but it continued for several days after that. That was just day one of the riots, and it kept going, and it kept going. Wow. And um, so the reason why Marsha is somebody who's so 
you know, considered such a prominent figure in the riots. One, it's because she was one of the first drag queens to ever even be let in. So it typically, Stonewall Inn used to just be all gay men. It was just, like, predominantly, I think, gay white men. Then Mm -hmm. they started letting in, like, other race people. And then they were like, okay, we're going to let in some drag queens. And then, like, the last group to get let in was, like, butch lesbians. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, but it was, like, 98% just men. Wow. Just homosexual men. And then this tiny little percentage was, like, some, like, Marsha. She was the first person to be let in who was a drag queen. So she was kind of a staple in there as, like, the first one. Um, And then, so... On top of that, there are a bunch of, like, conflicting stories in terms of, like, what she did when the riots were happening. And there's a lot of different stories about how it started, who did what, this and that. Um, But a few of those rumors are that she was, like, one of three people who were the first to push back against police when they raided. Some say that she threw a shot glass at a mirror, which started the riots. Others say that she threw a brick at a police officer. (laughs) And then the best one is that... Now, they they said this happened on day two, that she was seen climbing a lamppost and dropping a bag of bricks on a cop car, which shattered the windshield. Oh, shit. (laughs) So she was out there climbing lampposts. Damn. That's a bad bitch. Yeah. So, I mean... I, I think it's one of those things where, like, it's kind of hearsay because it was such chaos yeah. that, like, no one can accurately document or report who yeah. was doing what at what time. Like but a there, folk it was just tale. mayhem, you know? Right. It was just, like, yeah. wild mayhem. And, like, well, yeah, I saw I saw her throwing this there, and then I saw this happen. So it's kind of a little bit of hearsay. Yeah. But, I mean, long story short, she was out there rioting. And She's a fucking legend. <laughs> yeah. She is a legend. And she was, like, the, one of the first queens to be let in. And so she was kind of leading that pack. And they respected her she was considered kind of like the the queen the mother the leader of the group at stonewall so um yeah shit got crazy and uh, so the riots continued basically like i said this kick-started the gay liberation movement and then the very first pride festival took place the following year so that has been off since yeah like ever since it's been off ever since yes so one of the greatest forms of activism marcia did during her lifetime was co-founding the star organization with her friend sylvia rivera which stood for street transvestite action revolutionaries which was a shelter for homeless gay and trans youth that were abandoned by their families and left to live on the streets oh my gosh i love that i know and, like, even more gnarly, Marsha and Sylvia used money that they'd made during sex work to pay for the rent and provide food. Oh, my gosh. Like, along with all of the emotional support and, yeah. like, a sense of a family that they gave for these young kids. Wow, that is amazing. It's very amazing. And Mar- uh, Sylvia Rivera is another huge icon who deserves an, an, a whole other episode um, I don't even know who that is. I'm going to have to look her up. I I will tell you more about her soon, but one of the documentaries that I was watching, it's on Netflix. You can see it now. I literally watched it, like, yesterday. And it, it was, like, The Life and the Death. I think it was called The Life and the Death of Marsha, but it, it's more about 
her death and what mm-hmm. happened after that. But they have this whole portion about Sylvia, and I literally was crying, like, so many times through this documentary, because oh, no. it's, fuck, dude, like, the hardship these people went through to just Want fight to be for themselves. what they deserved, yeah. like, it's insane, and they had so much passion, and then, like, it's just really hard. <laughs> it was yeah. so hard watching this and just being like, why? Like, wh- why, like, why can't, can't we just fucking ex- help them yeah. out? I don't get it. And accept people for who the fuck they are. Want to do something like this, create the star organization where they're literally giving back to people, young kids that went through what they went through, but they didn't have that support. So they basically grew up and like gave it back to the same community. That's amazing. And so it's like, it pisses me off that they could be hated and discriminated against so much by the government and the city officials and other people in the gay community when they're doing shit like this. They're, yeah. like, helping fucking people. Yes. Like, what are people so pissed about? Like, I don't get it. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I don't I don't get it either. That's so crazy. That's amazing. It is amazing. Um, so, right? It's, it's so fucking amazing. And then this next thing happens. So, oh, no. in 1973... <laughs> Marsha and Sylvia are banned from participating in the Gay Pride Parade by the Gay and Lesbian Committee, who claimed that drag queens were giving them a bad name. What? What the The fuck? The exact parade that wouldn't exist if Marsha and Sylvia were on the front lines fighting, literally risking their lives, they are now not allowed to be in anymore. The because audacity. <laughs> I what? Yes. So Marsha and Sylvia obviously are like, fuck you. And they show up to the Pride Parade in their drag clothing and were center stage, marched to the front, and led the entire parade and was like, What are you gonna do about it? Nothing. Nothing. But after that happened. The parade, like, ends or, like, reaches the end of the parade and there's this big stage set up where, like, the parade gets to congregate and they're doing speeches. And Sylvia, like, barges her ass on the stage and is not even, doesn't even have plans to do a speech, but literally gets up there and is like, back the fuck out of my way, I'm taking over. And she grabs the mic and people immediately start booing her. Oh, my God. The entire pride community is booing her. That is so rude. And, like, imagine, like, being her and being, like, I literally gave my life to, like, help support this group of people. Well, that's what she did. That's what she said. She got on stage and she's like, all you fucking people are booing me. They were throwing things. They were calling her horrible names. It was horrible. It was, like, what you would imagine would come from the police or something. Oh, my god! And she's, like, screaming and into the mic, so emotional, because she's, like, one, in shock that she's even being treated this way, and then, like, so overwhelmed with, like, passion, but, like, heartbreak, where she's, like, trying to get, like, her word out, but she's, like, can't even believe what's happening. So, like, she pretty much just goes on this speech saying, like, fuck all of you guys. We were on the front lines. We were the ones fighting. We were the ones getting our heads bashed in. We were the ones that were willing to die so that you can sit here right now with, like, your nose up in the air to fight for your rights that you've somehow decided I no longer can have. Right. And does this whole thing... And people start to kind of quiet down and stuff, but, like, ultimately she still gets, like, thrown off the stage. And it's, like, 
basically the worst thing that's ever happened to her in her life because she and she was recorded saying this on this documentary that like in that moment I felt that like everything I'd been fighting for for years was just taken away from me and was literally for nothing so that's so sad it's so sad and so sad that Sylvia ended up literally leaving the parade and went home and attempted suicide no and she did not die because Marsha happened to walk in and find her and was able to get her to a hospital and save her life oh my gosh but after that happened, Sylvia basically was like, I'm I'm out of here. And she left New York. She went to some suburb. She lived like a very low-key, mellow life. She was out of the movement. She didn't protest anymore. She just was like, fuck you guys, I'm out. Yeah, like, why would you fight for a group of people who aren't going to support or fight for you? Like, fuck that. Yeah, it's it was bad. It was, and you know, that's like another element where it's like, it's so insane to be like, Here's an enormous group of people that are discriminated against for who they are. And you, within this community, still manage to find other people in it that now you're going to discriminate against. Right. Like, How does that I, work? It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> it does like, not make sense. You're already not accepted. Right. And that sucks. And you then turn it around to find people within your group that you can pick on and belittle a feeling that you've felt your whole life. Like, I just don't even understand that. Me, oh my god. So I feel like that's just, like, a super important thing about the history of Pride that I think should be known. Because Absolutely. really, it, it just shows that when Pride started, Pride would have never existed if it wasn't for those marginalized people that were the considered the bottom feeders of the group who yeah. were literally willing to die for rights and they got this large group of privileged gay people the rights that they didn't even bother fighting for themselves but then they took it and they ran with it and then they figured out how to keep certain people out of that and it just is like it's 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 interesting to look at like how these systems of like oppression and privilege can even exist in oppressed communities right (laughs) it's i know Oh my gosh. It's insane. And I feel like when, like a lot of people, when they look at this gay liberation movement and the pride, they think like, oh, yay, all gay people have rights. And that that that's not true. At and all. that didn't exist. And it left out a large group of these people, one being Marsha and the transgender community. It still exists today. There's still a lot of drama in the gay community, even in San Francisco, where wow. they don't want certain people in certain areas. Like, This is totally kind of off trail, but I, like, in college, I heavily studied the AIDS epidemic, and I Mm -hmm. lived in San Francisco when I was studying this, and one thing that blew me the fuck away was that the Castro District in San Francisco, which still today is an enormous gay community, Mm -hmm. but during, like, the 80s or the late 70s, it was... It started then, but it was just men, and they didn't allow lesbians in. They didn't give lesbians a bar. They weren't allowed into their bars. They weren't allowed anywhere in the neighborhoods. So the lesbians got, like, kicked off to, like, this shitty little side street and got, like, one bar that was allowed to be theirs, and it was just the whole the whole Castro district was just all gay men. And then the AIDS epidemic happened, and all of the gay men started dying. They were dropping, like, fucking flies, and nobody knew what was happening, and it was a big panic, and 
their families, their friends, you know, they didn't know what the disease was or where it was coming from. And so people didn't want to be around them. They were afraid. They thought if they touched them or breathed the same Mm -hmm. air, they'd get it. And the only people that showed fucking up for those guys that were dying were the the fucking fucking lesbians. lesbians. Damn it. Good for (laughs) You know what? It's just like, it's gnarly. It's heavy. It's gnarly. Yeah. And it's just like... It just goes down to show that the system is so heavily ingrained that it even exists in the communities that are the most marginalized. This just makes me so mad. It does. It fucking fury. It infuriates me. It makes Damn me it. upset. And then me it's just too. and just to think that like Marsha and Sylvia led this revolution and, and they gave were kicked to the curb. Everything they had, yeah, they were kicked to the curb after that. Literally. Wow. So. Marsha continued to do activism, but she also started experiencing pretty severe mental health issues in her life, and she had many, many, many more police encounters. She, at times, would have, like, these episodes and end up getting, like, snatched off the street and taken to a mental institution, and they would, like, inject her with all these medicines to stabilize her, and then they'd, like, throw her back out onto the street to be like, all right, like, we've doped you up, you're good. And then her friends would be like, yeah, Marsha would come back and she'd be weird for like an entire month of like zombie. And then finally the medicine would wear off and she'd be back to her normal self. Yeah. So uh, there are certain rumors that she may have been struggling with schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. And I don't know that there was ever an actual diagnosis that confirmed this, but she kind of struggled pretty hard, like late 70s through the 90s she wasn't like doing too good wow and this was after stonewall after her star organization so i don't know if you know what i don't know exactly what led to her decline in mental health it could have just been a lifetime of just constant struggle yeah i don't know it could have been like the fact that they were rejected from their own community of people it could have been a lot of things um, but it, yeah, she wasn't doing good and she ended up getting arrested like over a hundred times. Shit. She claimed that she'd even been shot once in the late seventies. So yeah, she was going through rough times and shortly after the pride parade in 1992, Marsha's body was discovered floating in the Hudson river. She was 46 years old and police initially ruled it a suicide, but all of Marsha's friends and the entire gay community insisted that she would never commit suicide and that she absolutely had to have been murdered, um, partly because a few things had happened. Recently, Marsha had been making comments that she was being chased by the mafia, like the mafia was after her for something. Oh so she told numerous people that that was happening and that she was in fear. And then there were even innocent bystanders who had come up and told the police, like, hey, I saw Marsha, you know, the day before she went missing. And the last time I saw her, she was being harassed by thugs. So, like, there were a couple different people who had seen her and, like, known that, like, shit was going down. Yeah. And several people went to the police letting them know like this is my this is what i've seen this is what i know and not a single investigation went down to look into any of these claims or to even consider the fact that her death might have been foul play 
That is devastating. It is totally devastating. And all of her friends, all of the community was like, the police ruled it as a suicide because they literally didn't consider her worthy of an investigation. Yeah. Worthy of the time to actually look in to see who might have killed her. Right. And on top of all of that, the person that came across her body initially reported that she had a massive gash in the back of her head. And which police claimed had to have been from natural wear and tear from debris in the water that could have hit her body while she was floating. What the fuck? (laughs) So she was murdered and the police said, we don't really give a shit. We're calling this a suicide and we're done with it. So her murder is like technically still a cold case. Yeah. It's never been solved. We don't know who did it. And it's never been looked into. I'm going to look into it, and I'm going (laughs) to investigate. I watch enough true crime, I will fucking figure this shit out myself. Well, so the the Netflix documentary is literally an investigation of another, like, trans woman who is, like, re-digging up all this info, and Mm -hmm. she's like, I'm going to get to the bottom of it. So that's what the Netflix documentary is about. It's more of, like, a true crime side of Marcia's story. Yeah, it's pretty good. I'm going to have to watch that. And you learn a lot about Sylvia in that documentary. So I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll definitely let you know what it's called because I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, the closest they got, I think it was in 2012, the police reopened the case and like, we're like, sure, fine, you jerks. Like, we'll, we'll fucking entertain this. And like within a week, they put it back down as a suicide. So it's, it's, it's just, that's what happened. Awful. Yeah. It's really awful. So. There have been many tributes to Marsha, including documentaries, movies, paintings, and statues. Um, but she, for the most part, just goes down in history as the pioneer of the gay rights movement, of, you know, the instigator of the Stonewall riots. She's a fam- famous drag queen. She was an Andy Warhol model. She was a, she, what she, in her own words, loved to say. She was a starving actress. Mm-hmm. And she was a revolutionary trans activist. Damn. Um, and the entire community basically considers her the Rosa Parks of the LGBT movement. Hell yeah. So that is Marsha. And then a oh. couple quotes of hers I wanted to end on, which are just great and they are (laughs) they're great for her and they're great for just what's happening today another good reminder from somebody who literally went through like you know a category of this so many years ago and and now we're seeing it again yeah so literally she's trans and she's dealing with that but also during like the civil rights movement like oh my god yeah it's pretty she was living through some wild times. Yeah. <laughs> and she was so fucking strong. Yes. And, and then someone had to go kill her. Right. Probably just out of like, you know, I'm going to kill you because I can and no one's going to know anything about it. Exactly. Or care to like find out what really happened. Yeah. I'm so off. three quotes of hers. The first one is, I was no one, nobody from nowheresville until I became a drag queen. I love that. I know. And then the next one is, no pride for some of us without liberation for all of us. Yes. Which is directly aimed at the gay community that fucking kicked her out of the pride parade. Yes. And that is literally perfect for what's happening right now. Yep. Just like how people are like, all lives matter. Oh my God. (laughs) 
it's the same that's what that means it's like there is no there's no pride for like some of us if there's no liberation for all of us like yeah it's like that's not wow it's so frustrating and then the last one is how many years has it taken people to realize that we are all brothers and sisters and human beings in the same human race yes yes (laughs) yes queen (laughs) yes queen (laughs) i love her see now i'm gonna watch every single thing i'm gonna find her murderer (laughs) i'm gonna figure it out okay well here's the most exciting part that i can't wait to tell you (gasps) and all the listeners so i recently participated in this contest through my work where they basically wanted employees to be brand ambassadors for the company. Whatever, like, I'll do it, like, just to do it. And so I posted this picture on the podcast Instagram page of, like, me wearing, like, company clothing and being like, oh, wow, I miss work so much. (laughs) And I won. And my prize was that they were willing to donate to any organization of my choosing. And I picked the Marsha P. Johnson Institute. Yes! That is so exciting! (laughs) So, I don't know how much they're donating. They haven't, like, gotten back to me on the logistics of, like, how how it works or how it's going to work. But apparently, it's going to be a donation will be placed in my name. And I was like, okay, but can I put it in the podcast name? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't give a fuck about my name. Yeah. How do I get this registered to the podcast? That is so cool. I know. Congrats. So I was tripping out because I literally just got this news on Friday. And we already had this episode sorted out for yeah. Sunday. And I was like, oh my god. I can contribute to her organization, and then I get to cover her, and it's Pride Month, and we're fighting for Black Lives Matter. It's, like, all of it encompassed into one. That I is, was like, the stars have aligned. That's this overwhelming as fuck. That is amazing. <laughs> I'm so very excited. Exciting. I'm so, yeah, so excited. Her institute basically just provides you know resources, employment, community um, to all... I think it's pretty much all transgender people, just the entire group of them. I don't think it's specific to only black trans people. Yeah, that is amazing. um, Yeah, it's pretty cool. So, like, even, like, the money will go towards helping, I think, if they can't find employment, helping provide them income, really. Yes, that is amazing, because there are so many people out there that, like, are transgender or are gay and their families don't support them. And that is devastating to me. Yeah. My friend Kelly's daughter just transitioned. No and, way. Yeah. Um, about a year ago. And she has done a complete 180. Like, she is her true authentic self. She is living her best life. She is a brand ambassador for all these different places. Like, she's just living her best life. And, like, yeah. without the support of her family, like, there's no way she would be who she is right now, like, thriving. Yeah. Man, that's amazing. I'm so excited. It's just like, uh, and then just thinking back on the history of like just the 60s and the 70s and the gay rights movement and all the corrupt shit. It's just yeah. like, we're in fucking 2020 now. The world is on fire. People are dying. Like, it, 
we can't we we just need to like get it together like just make the make life easier for people yes. we don't need to discriminate against different lifestyles we don't need to discriminate against different sexualities people shouldn't be homeless and unemployed because they're wearing a wig like it's Correct. just it's so dumb yeah. and it's like if it doesn't bother you like if it doesn't affect your life personally why the fuck does it matter Exactly. And it's like, at the end of the day, we have bigger problems to solve. Like, the world's melting. Like, you know, there's a virus on the loose. Cops are killing people. Like, at the end of the day, civilians should just be able to live and, like, Like, not be constantly targeted and fought against just living. Yes. It's the dumbest thing on earth. It's so stupid. (laughs) It's like, we're past that. Oh, my gosh. Focus on bigger fucking problems. Exactly. Like, things that we don't have control over. It's just like, God. it's so out of control. Well, I love her, and now I want to watch every single thing about her. And I will. I know. Because I know. there's nothing else to do. I'm going so, yeah. to watch that tonight. That's my whole spiel. It was kind of long. Sorry. It's okay. I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. That's so good. So I know that this is the portion of the show where I'm supposed to guess her <laughs> astrology side. And you totally don't have to. No, no, I'm doing it. Let me bust okay. out my handwritten notes. <clears throat> I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. So, <laughs> is she a Leo? Fan fucking tastic guess. She is half a Leo. Ooh. I know that sounds weird. But the only reason why I say this is because her birthday is on the very first day of Virgo season. Oh! Which, really, she's a Leo. Like, yes. that is a Leo. How did I do that? I literally wrote down, Leo, theatrical, passionate, yep. spotlight. Well, you knew. <laughs> that's <Yes>. a Leo. <laughs> yes! You nailed it! Her oh. birthday is August 24th, 1945, oh. and... Um, yeah, she's right there on that tiny little cusp. So, in my perspective, she's for sure 100% a Leo who oh happened God. to be born on the last day of Leo season. Cheers to that. <laughs> Cheers to that. You got mm. it. That was so good. I'm so excited. Okay. Well, I'm, do you I'm need excited. like a break or anything? You just want to no. dive in? Do you need a break? No. Okay. I'm good. My hands are sweating. Woo! You got this. <gasps> okay. Um. <clears throat> So, um, like you said, we kind of talked about the fact that we both chose someone who's kind of like an activist, um, and it's kind of, kind of goes with what is going on in our country right now. So, I've chosen Dr. Maya Angelou. Yes! So, when I messaged you about possibly being on the show and first of all i just can't believe you said yes um (laughs) i was thinking to myself like who would i choose and i had all of these amazing people in my head and my friend Haley was like you have to choose maya angelou like you have posters of her in your classroom you teach her all the time like duh you have to choose her and then i was thinking and i was like yes the fuck i do And (laughs) and i did so here I go. I handwrote my notes um, because I'm a teacher and a nerd, so bear with me. <clears throat> Born in 1928 in St. Louis, Missouri, Maya Angelou was actually named Marguerite Annie Johnson. Huh. I, I, I had no idea. 
Um, her parents' names were Bailey and Vivian Baxter Johnson, and her dad was a dietitian, and her mom was a nurse. Uh, Marguerite had one older brother, Bailey Johnson Jr., who gave her the nickname Maya. So, started with her brother. Um, when she was three, her parents divorced and sent her and her brother to live with her grandma in a place called Stamps, Arkansas, um, where her grandma owned a general store. And during this time, so like 1930-something, it was super segregated. Mm-hmm. So throughout her childhood, Maya and her brother moved back and forth between Stamps and St. Louis with their mom. But um, around age eight, which is so weird because this kind of happens to your woman, Marcia, too. Um, when she was around eight, while visiting her grand, uh, while visiting her mother, Maya was raped by her mother's boyfriend. Holy shit! Yeah, eight years old. Like what? You and the boyfriend? Yes, disgusting. Oh my god. So, um, after testifying against her rapist, imagine doing that, like, eight or nine years old. I'm actually even shocked that, that she was even able to testify. Like, I know. This seems like it would have been a time where that would have just happened and then people would have gone on with their lives. Called it a day. Wow. Yeah. So, after testifying, um, he was only sentenced to a year in jail. Um, but when he was released, several of her uncles beat him to death, like, (gasps) fucked his shit up. As they should have. As they should have. That's what happens. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, it's like, sorry, dude, like, we got our kids back, like, you don't fuck with our fucking family, you're out. If if they wouldn't hold you in jail longer than a year, we'll fucking handle it. We're gonna have to (laughs) fuck you up, sorry. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh my god. So while we're like, yeah, fuck them up or fuck him up, right? Um, Maya thought that using her voice killed her rapist. Um, and so she refused to speak for about five years. Like, would not talk at all. Whoa. Yeah. Um, so when she finally spoke again, she's quoted as saying, there's no agony like bearing an untold story inside of you. It's mm. so sad. Um, so while remaining to... Or while choosing to remain silent, Maya discovered a passion and love for reading, which she kind of carried over into her adult life. Um, after her rapist was killed, Maya moved back to Stamps with her grandma, and during this time, her grandma worked to help Maya develop pride and confidence in herself. So, um, in 1940, when she was around the age of 12, she actually moved with her mom to San Francisco. So weird. We have so many connections today. <laughs> Um, and this was around World War II, so she attended a place called Wash- George Washington High School, but she also went to San Francisco's Labor School, um, but she ended up dropping out for a little bit of time and became the first black female streetcar conductor. What is that? Street? Like, like a train? Yes, like a trolley. Oh, like the trolleys! Yeah, <laughs> Isn't that wild? Like... Wait, she was the first female? Is that what you said? The thought? first black female oh streetcar conductor. How hilarious. I know. At like 17. That's wild. <laughs> She's like, okay, go on down. Like, you're next. Oh my god, that's I so know. funny. So, um, she ended up going back to school and graduating at 17. And three weeks after graduation, she gave birth to her only son, Guy Johnson. 
Um, so in her late teens, she left her mom's home and tried to make it on her own in Los Angeles. And she found herself working with an older lesbian couple. This is so weird. Now that I'm like reading this back, I'm like, damn, like, why are they so connected? Um, where she managed a brothel and the brothel's finances. Whoa. Yes. Like, first of Wait, all... Wait, so this lesbian couple owned a brothel? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what? Okay. It gets better. <laughs> so, she eventually stopped working at the brothel and she met a Greek carpenter named Tosh Angelos. And she married him in 1949 at the age of 21. Um, He influenced or kind of lured Maya to become a prostitute herself. Um, But they were only married for three years. And she was like, fuck you. I'm not doing this anymore. Oh, but so she did do some sex work? Oh, wow. I had no idea. I know. Me neither. How wild. And it was her husband that was like, into it? Yeah. What a piece of shit. Yeah. So, um, during the end of her marriage, she worked as a cocktail waitress, a cook, and a dancer. Not like a stripper, just like a normal dancer. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was as a dancer that she assumed her professional name, Maya Angelou. Um, This kind of led to her being discovered by a theater group. Um, So, from 1954 to 1955, she was in the production of Porgy and Bess. That sounds like pork and beans to me, but (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry to the theater people that are like, that is a gem. (laughs) So rude. (laughs) Porgy and Bess, um, where she toured 22 countries in Europe and Africa. Wow. Yeah. Um, So then in 1959, she moved to New York, wild, and joined the Harlem Writers Guild and began her writing career. And during this time, she heard Martin Luther King Jr. speak and was influenced to get into civil rights work. Um, In 1960, she married another man, a South African activist. I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this right, but it's Vesumzi. I don't know. Vesumzi? Vesumzi. That's what we're going (laughs) to go for. Um, and in 1961, she moved to Egypt and was the associate editor of a weekly news magazine. So, like, by this time, she was a streetcar conductor, a brothel manager, a prostitute herself, a waitress, a cook, a dancer. Like, what well, can this bitch been, do? Like, all over the world. Yes. She's like, in can... Egypt now? <laughs> yes. Like, what the hell? I know. <laughs> Who knew? Well, I'm like... That is so... What a life she's already lived. She was even silent for, like, five years. <laughs> five years. Like, whoa. And still managed to accomplish more things than I will ever in my whole life. <laughs> oh, my God. That is insane. Yes. So, eventually, she moved to Ghana, where she taught at the University of Ghana's School of Music and Drama, while also working as a feature editor for the African Review until 1964. After only being married for three years, again, Maya and this man that I can't pronounce were divorced and she decided to move her and her son back to the United States. And upon her return, Martin Luther King Jr. requested that she was the Northern Coordinator for the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which was like a really big 
civil rights movement, I guess. Um, in 1964, she also helped Malcolm X set up the Organization for Afro-American Unity, but it fell apart after his assassination. Oh. So, um, she continued writing and advocating for civil rights, but, this is so sad, on her birthday in 1968, Maya got the news that her friend Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And so she stopped selling, celebrating her birthday for years. Oh my god. Yeah. Isn't that so sad? That is so sad. So about his death, she said, Life stopped for a few days. I couldn't believe that this great man, this great dream, this great dreamer, this person who dared to love everyone could be killed. That is so sad. I know. Um, in 1969, 1970, she published her multi-volume autobiography, which included six books, starting with the first one that I think everybody knows by her, I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings, mm -hmm. um, and it was nominated for a National Book Award. Um, Caged Bird takes place during her childhood from the ages of three through 16. First of all, I could never tell you what happened to me when I was three years old. Right? I can't even tell you what I ate for dinner last night, so... Um, she's a good one. And it explained the trauma that she went through as well as the racism that she encountered. Um, and there's also, I guess, a television movie that was made of the story, which I had no idea. So you already know I'm going to find that and watch Heck it. Yeah. Um, and from 1972 through the 90s, she did a lot of work with TV and film. And she became one of the first African-American women to have a screenplay produced as a feature film. And it was called Georgia, Georgia in 1972. Isn't there like a song that's like that? Georgia? Is that it? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. <laughs> it is. By Ray Charles? Yes! I, I don't know. Remember. I couldn't remember who sang the song. I don't know if they're directly related, but... I wonder. I don't know. We'll have to look that up later. Yeah. Um, I'm, like, I'm just, like, playing it in my head right now. Georgia. <laughs> That's the only part I know. That's the only part I know. <laughs> so, in 1973, she married for the third and final time to a man named Paul DeFew, who was also a carpenter. She has a thing for carpenters, apparently. Um, and also in 1973, she was nominated for a Tony Award for her work in the play Look Away. Never heard of it, but kudos to her. Um, her marriage ended in 1980 while she continued writing and working on film and TV. Um, but in 1981, at age 53, she returned to the South and became the Reynolds Professor of American Studies at Wake Forest University in North Carolina. Nice. I don't know what a Reynolds Professor is, yeah, but yeah. apparently it it's like prestigious, a big accolade. <laughs> and she did that for 30 years. Whoa. Until 2011. Like, damn. She did a lot. And, like, she's you know, not even done yet. Well, also, like, when I think of Maya, like, I didn't know she did any of this shit. <laughs> right? Like, I knew she wrote and stuff, and that was about it. Yeah. That's all I knew, <laughs> too. Like, every time I teach her to kids, I'm like, yeah, she's, like, amazing poet. Like. Yeah. I didn't know all of this. It's amazing. 
So, um, in 1993, she recited her poem on the pulse of mourning at the inauguration of President Bill Clinton, and she was the first female inaugural poet in U.S. history. Oh, wow. Yeah. In 1998, she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame, and she's also received the Medal of Arts Award in 2000 and the Lincoln Medal in 2008. Um, In 2010, she was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is one of the highest civilian awards that anyone in the U.S. can get, and she received that from President Barack Obama. Like, imagine, like, hanging out with Martin Luther King Jr. and then meeting and, like, being close with Barack Obama. But you know what? Barack Obama was probably, like... He's probably like, oh my god. He's freaking out to like meet her to be yes. like, you were chilling with Martin Luther. Like, yes, exactly. This is like the dynamic of all of that. It's wild. Wow. Yeah. Um, so after his death in 2013, uh, Maya Angelou did the eulogy for South African President Nelson Mandela. Oh, and wow. at this time, she was 83 years old. Wow. Yeah, because she's, like, teaching until she was, like, 81 years old. So, like, uh, if I'm teaching by the time I'm 81 years old, please make sure, like, (laughs) I'm okay. Because (laughs) there is no way. Maybe it's, like, retire from real education, and then you can do, like, fun volunteer work or something. But I don't even know, because, like, at this point, I want to punch a kid all the time. They're I, the worst. I like, can barely tolerate a stranger's kid passing me in the street. Like, yes. I can imagine. I know, and being responsible for them every day, like, it's too much. What was <sighs> I thinking? <sighs> Sorry. So, <laughs> in 2014, Maya died at the age of 81 years old. But throughout her life, she was nominated for numerous awards, like a Pulitzer Prize in 1972 and her Tony Award in 1973. But she also won many other awards, like the Coretta Scott King Award in 1971, the Langston Hughes Medal in 1991, three Grammys for her spoken word books in 1993, 1995, and 2002, and a lot of more awards that I just didn't even understand, yeah. so I the, didn't write them down. For decades. Literally, she has so many. Um, she was a UNICEF American ambassador, and she was on a U.S. stamp in 2015. I'm pretty sure I have it somewhere, like, in a book, because I am obsessed with her. Um, and 2018, on what would have been her 90th birthday, Google honored her with a Google Doodle, which oh, I, I feel like those. once you get a Google Doodle, you're, you've oh, had yeah. it made. Well, and I've even, a couple of the women I've covered were from Google Doodles. Yeah, I've exactly. I've heard of them, and I was like, wow, like, yeah. this is so cool. I love them. I get on Google They're every day really just cool. to see, like, who's on there. Yep. Um, in her lifetime, she published over 36 books, including cookbooks. Like, what? Right? <laughs> <laughs> it just, it just gets better. Um, and numerous poems. So, like you, I am a sucker for a good quote. So, I have three that I want to end on. Um, The first one is from her poem, Still I Rise. 
So it says, you might write me down in history with your bitter, twisted lines. You may trod me in the very dirt, but still like dust, I rise. And every time I hear that, like, I get goosebumps. I yeah, love for sure. Um, the second one is, if you are always trying to be normal, you will never know how amazing you can be. True. Mm-hmm. And then the last one is, I've learned that people will forget about what you said. People will forget about what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Oh, that one's one of my favorites. Yeah. I hear that a lot, actually. Yes, that is one of my favorites <sighs> for sure. And that, like, it also, I feel like, is, like, Marsha. Yes! This is so perfect. <laughs> you know? oh so, that is Dr. Maya Angelou. Oh, my God. I love it. I, I, uh, I have a question, though. Okay. Like, what is, like, since you obviously love her, like, how come, at least maybe I'm just don't, I'm, maybe I'm a little ignorant and I just don't know, but I feel like most people just think of Maya and they just think of, like, the cage bird sings. Literally. It's like, what happened to everything else? And, like, I know. How, how is it, like, was her, was that one, I can't even remember, was the cage bird sing a book or was it poetry? Yeah, so it was a book and then she wrote a poem based on it, too. Okay. And so, like, I just feel like she's just a part of this, like, black african-american history and people like skim over it and like it's so sad because there's so much that people could get from her well, and instead of even just things such as like her childhood the yeah the, the trauma she went through the fact that she was silent for so long yes the fact that she did sex work like these are things that you know have a tendency to like taint like not that I want them to do that, but, like, yeah. people can kind of, like, be tainted by their yeah. past in a way. And I almost feel like maybe the general public doesn't know the past that Maya had, or maybe it's been intentionally kind of, like, pushed to the side as a way to kind of just highlight some of her best things that have happened. Right. yeah. And it's, like, there's these, like, incredible, not even incredible, but important things that existed that made her who she was that brought all these other things on and it's like you can't really truly understand somebody until you know where their origins were at. That yes. they experienced hardship and all that got them here. Mm-hmm. And I feel like, like specifically with Cage Bird, I think I was like forced to read part of it in high school. And I was like, fuck this. You're not going to tell me what I can and can't read. I'm not <laughs> reading it. <laughs> exactly what your students say to you now. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and so like as an adult, I try to like use that. Like I remember how I was in high school and how much of a little bitch I was. So like I try to like think of cool ways to like incorporate this kind of stuff in what I teach every day. And so like I share her story with people. I share her biography with people like Although it's not, like, a part of our common core standards, like, kids have the right to know that. Because, like, what if they're going through that same shit? Like, I don't know what they're going through at home. But, you know, it also sends this message that, like, people can start off in a really rocky place and end up as Maya. Like, as Maya did. Mm-hmm. Like, you wouldn't typically think that somebody who had, you know, gone through stages of sex work would then be shooting the shit with Martin, Lu- Martin Luther King. And, yeah. Like, be shaking hands with Obama and getting all these awards. And yes. I feel like that's why we have to send those, we have to se- tell the truth about that so that people who maybe had, you know, rougher experiences in the beginning of their lives can be like, yo, I'm able to, like, have more yeah, in my Yeah, exactly. 
Or that I won't even be, like, judged or looked down on about my past, and I can still be celebrated for more of my positive contributions. Yes. Like, man. And then, like, I just, as I continued to, like, go through her story, I was just sitting there like, damn. Like, that is amazing. And so she has a biography, and I think it's called And Still I Rise, and it's literally, like, all of these amazing people, like, coming and talking about, like, how Mm -hmm. influential she was and, like, gives you a little insight on her, like, throughout her whole life. So I'm going to watch that one, too. Is so that is it a new documentary or just um it came out in 2016 okay but i had no idea it existed okay so funny thing to tell you a long time ago like probably two years ago cj and i attempted to record two episodes in one day Mm -hmm. and we recorded the first one and then we went to start the second one and we were so burnt out and like like just exhausted and distraught that we scratched that sef- second episode because it just sucked. Mm-hmm. But we co- she covered Maya. <laughs> but oh. it was so long ago that I, like, you know, I listened to it and, like, but we never released it. Yeah. And it just got scratched. But <laughs> I-, I have been, we- like, hoping that somebody would cover her again. Yes. So I'm super happy that you did it. And especially since you just love her so much. I like, do, like... If people could see my face right now, I'm, like, cheesing like a motherfucker (laughs) because I love her. Like, I feel like she's my grandma. And you know what? Like, I'm going to be honest that we scrapped that episode because we were so unenthusiastic because we were just drained. Right. Like, we're on hour, like, five of recording. And, like, I'm so happy we didn't release it because it would have not done justice to the people that needed to be, you know, have an episode that was good and fun about yeah, them yeah so super happy we got to redo it today yes and that i'm you so had to excited cover it. i know i am so happy this was so good <laughs> all right i'm gonna guess her zodiac sign and i actually literally don't remember from when she did it because i swear to god we did that like two years ago of no <laughs> but i i've i have like only one guess okay and i'm just gonna go for it is she a gemini Nope. Oh. Do you want to take a second guess? guess? Because she just did so much different stuff. Like her, the paths she took were so diverse. And I literally so many wrote down Gemini interested in everything. (laughs) That's exactly okay. So yeah, you know, like that's that's how I got to her. Um, I feel like. My second guess would maybe be Scorpio? Nope. Oh. What about Sagittarius? Nope. Oh my god, I have no clue. You have to tell me. She's an Aries. An Aries? Yes, she was born on April 4th, 1928. What did you write down for Aries? Bold and ambitious. Okay, well that works. That's so funny. I would have never guessed that, though. And not because I don't think she's like an Aries. They're just like, she seems so much more of other yeah. signs. No, I could like, totally I see her. I thought to even think of Aries. Yeah, I could totally see her as something else for sure. Oh, my God. I so... also need to come at you because I'm a Libra. Are you? Oh, shit. I am. We got and Libra beef, You huh? guys shit on <laughs> us all the time. And... I am fucking funny and 
awesome. So stop wow. shitting on me. Well, you know what? You're the second guest host Libra since I'm oh, I know. taking guest hosts. See? <laughs> See? And my other guest host was like, no more with the Libras. Exactly. No more but shitting you know on what? us. I am a part Libra. It's a See? real thing. My rising sign is Libra. And I, I don't even know what the fuck that have... means. <laughs> it's it's complicated. Let's just say that. That was so fun. It was really fun. That was a good fucking episode. I loved love how the women. I love how they like intersected in so many different elements. So many ways. And you know what I was also thinking when you were talking about when uh, Maya was in New York, it it was what like 1959 or something like that. Yes. So Marsha would have just shown up like a couple of years later. Yes. And then the, it would have only been a few years after that that the riots would have happened. Right, because she lived a lot of her life in New York. So, like, I wonder if she was like, I'm done with the cause. Like, fuck that. Because she loved everyone. Oh, yeah. She totally would have been. I love how I'm saying this like I actually know. Like, she loved everyone, okay? Um, everyone. I feel like I know the women. I know. I feel like it gets to a point where I'm like, oh my god, dad, this is my homegirl. Here's the story. This is what you need to know. Exactly. Maya is my grandma and Marsha is my aunt. So it's perfect. (laughs) I'm convinced. I love it. Me too. Do you you happen to have any women of the week? This is going to sound so corny. I honestly forgot, but. I do. My mom. Yes! We love a good mom, woman of the week. She is literally my best friend in the whole world. And, like, every time I call her, I'm like, Mom, I have this idea for a once. And she's like, fuck yeah, do that shit. Love it. And (laughs) she's just, like, always in my corner. So shout out to my mom, who's probably listening because she does listen to anything I do. So, hey, Mom. Hey, Mom. (laughs) Love her. Love it. I feel like an asshole. I don't have any women of the week this week. That's okay. But <laughs> maybe next week. All women. Thank you again so much. Yes. For recording. Thanks for having me. Fantastic. It was a great episode. I, I will love- be back. Good. I mean, I think it's. I think it's even like more meaningful to have people that listen that want to participate. You yes. Know? I love it and so much. Like, I'm totally fangirling over the fact whoa! that, like, this was even a thing. Hell yeah. And now well, we're best friends for life. Fucking best friends for life. The Ohio <laughs> vacation tour will yes. be coming up. Yes. <laughs> Maybe Shelby and I should just come to you. <laughs> well, that's that's a wrap. That's Thank awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, again for tuning in to our 42nd episode. And we'll be back probably in the next couple of weeks with another awesome show. Woohoo! And thank you so much, Ricky. Thank you. You were the best. This was so fun. You did an awesome fucking job. Thank you. Teacher and life. Dude, you, the teacher life was evident. You, like, <laughs> had that locked and loaded. <laughs> I wish you could see, like, my little notebook of notes. Like, it's so, so good. Pathetic. So fine. good. I love it. 